Just like the sunshine You have been online Leading us into Beautiful places We walk through fire You made us brighter Leading us into Beautiful places Faithful Jesus Healing sin 
this time we'll have our Ezra's come up and take offering. Um, if you're new to Crosspoint, if this is your first time, don't feel obligated to give. Um, but this is our chance to, to give back to God for all that he's given us. Um, Father, I thank you so much for your gifts and your generosity. And I know you don't need anything we have to offer, but we give this to you as an offering to um, multiply and use for your glory, God. In your name, amen.
service to you for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Eric. I am uh, the student and worship pastor here at Cross Point. Uh, I'm really glad that you guys are here together uh, with us this morning. I'm glad and uh, thankful to be able to be up here and have a, an opportunity to bring God's word um, to you today. And uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and get it, o- open it up to Genesis chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible uh, and you want to grab one, we have some back at the Guest Connection Center there that, at the table there. Um, and, uh, and if you don't have one to call your own, if you, if you just need one to borrow today, that's great. If, but if you don't have one, we would love for you to just keep that and take it home with you. Use it. Uh, we want get to get God's Word uh, into your life on a daily uh, basis. And so if you need a, a Bible to be able to do that, we want to give that to you uh, free of charge, okay? So we're in a 13-week series uh, this morning. We're in week six of this 13-week series uh, called... The story begins, and we're going through the book of Genesis uh, during this series. And so far, we've highlighted sort of four main uh, narratives or stories, if you will, through the first nine chapters. We have the account of creation. We have um, the fall with Adam and Eve, the fall of man, the the sin entering the world. Uh, The first account of murder, excuse me, with Cain and Abel, um, their sons. And then we have the flood with Noah and the ark. And, and those accounts, they're, they're covered in detail over these past five weeks uh, and those messages. And so if you haven't uh, been here for all five of those weeks, if there's a week that you've missed, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. You can find that address uh, or you can find that on our website, which that address is in your program. So I want to encourage you to do that if you've missed any of those weeks. Um, something that we're seeing here develop in, in the first a uh, handful of chapters here in Genesis is a pattern, and it's a pattern that we're going to see all across the, the Word of God. All throughout Scripture, we're going to see this pattern in the rest of the Bible. The, the pattern looks like this. God makes His authority and His plans known, uh, and He gives man com- commands to obey. Man rejects God's plans. 
rebels against his authority, and sins by disobeying God's commands. God judges man for his sin against God. God shows grace by once again making his authority and his plans known and giving man another chance to obey his commands. Let me quickly show you uh, some examples from this with, in, in some of these stories that I just mentioned. God created the heavens and the earth, and he, and he created Adam and Eve, and he gave them this command to fill the earth and to subdue it and have dominion over it, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's Genesis 1.28. Adam and Eve rebelled against God and his authority and command and sinned against him when they took from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they ate it. Sin entered the world at that moment. They, were content, they weren't content with filling uh, the earth and, and having dominion over it. They wanted to be equal to God himself. And so God judged their sin by cursing them with toil and pain and death. And then he showed them grace by not killing them instantly, which is what they deserved. Uh, and instead, he sacrificed an animal in their place. He covered their nakedness uh, so that they wouldn't be ashamed. And he used, uh, he used the skin of the animal to do that. And then he drove them out of the Garden of Eden. They moved out eastward and, uh, from the garden, and they were fruitful and multiplied. And, and through both his judgment and mercy... God's plans for man to fill the earth began to be accomplished. The problem is, though, that with the filling of the earth, and, and as the earth was starting to be, to be filled with more people, it was starting to be filled with more sinful people. And so Adam and Eve, they had Cain and Abel, and Cain sinned and committed the first murder uh, recorded in the Bible by killing his brother Abel. God judged Cain by cursing him with an even greater toil and pain, and then he showed Cain grace by not killing him instantly, which is what he deserved, and instead sent him away to wander the earth and put a mark on him so that no one else would kill him. God, God moved Cain further eastward. Cain was fruitful and multiplied, and God's plans to fill the earth continued to be accomplished. Adam and Eve also had another son named Seth, and the Bible tells us that they also had uh, other sons and daughters as well. In Genesis 4 and 5, we, we get a brief glimpse of uh, the filling of the earth through the genealogies that are presented to us of Adam and Eve and those children. Um, and, but remember, with, with the multiplication of humanity comes the multiplication of sin. And eventually in that genealogy, we get to Noah and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And as we saw last week, by the time we get to Noah in Genesis 6, the whole earth is corrupt in God's sight, and it's full of violence. So God flooded the entire earth in judgment for the sin of mankind, and this time he brought death immediately to all of humanity. All of humanity except Noah and his three sons and their wives. God, in his grace, spared their lives and kept them safe from the floodwaters by shutting them up in the ark until all the floodwaters subsided. And do you know what was the first command that God gave them as they came out of the ark. Genesis 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 1. It says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. He says it again in verse 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Now, Noah, we learned this last week, was a righteous man, but he was not a sinless man. And so one of the very first uh, stories that we see after he gets out of the ark uh, is... Um, when he makes a, or plants a vineyard, then he drinks the wine from the vineyard and he gets drunk off that wine and then uh, he's 
laying naked in his tent, fully exposed. Well, Ham, his son, comes in and he sees his father's nakedness. And, and instead of covering it up or backing out and you know, walking away, instead of uh, protecting the, the honor of Noah, Ham sees that and he goes out and he tells his brothers about it, further uh, bringing in other people into this shame. And so Shem and Japheth, the other two brothers, they, they, don't, they don't buy into that uh, mentality that Ham has. Instead, they, they lock arms and they put a, a drape a, a, a garment over their shoulders and they walk in backwards to the tent, covering their face so that they can't see their father's nakedness. And they drape the, the cloth over him. Genesis 9.19 tells us that from these three brothers, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, came all the people who were scattered over all the earth. And Genesis 10 gives us a genealogy of these men showing uh, the nations that formed from them. God commands man to fill the earth. Man sins against God. God judges man for man's sins. God shows man grace (coughs) by not killing man but by moving man eastward and again giving man the command to fill the earth. Now, before we read in Genesis chapter 11 this morning, we need to understand why this command is so important. Why does this command to fill the earth keep showing up time after time after time with each one of these uh, people groups that that continue, even though they sin? Here it is. God's plan is to fill the earth with his glory not with man's sin. God's plan is to fill the earth with his glory, not with our sin. The prophet Isaiah had a vision uh, of the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, with seraphim surrounding him, calling out to one another, and they said this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Romans eleven thirty six says, for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And Paul tells us in Philippians that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's plan is to fill the earth with his glory. It's not his goal. He doesn't just aim for that and hope it happens. It's his plan. It's going to happen because he's determined that it will. And he's chosen to accomplish this plan through mankind, his most cherished creation. Sinful mankind. God has chosen to use that. Our very purpose for living is to bring God glory and to spread his fame throughout the world. Hype students, we just talked about this this past week in our small groups. We also talked about how our sin causes us to rebel against this purpose, and and we're going to see that here in Genesis chapter 11. So let's look together at verses 1 through 9. You can follow along as I read this. Now the whole earth had had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, And settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make 
a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. Once again, we see a world infected by sin, and now the people have come together not to fulfill God's plans, but instead to fulfill their own. The first thing that we need to see this morning is this. God sees our prideful plans and disobedience. God sees our prideful plans and disobedience. In my Bible, this section of Genesis chapter 11, there's a title in there that says the Tower of Babel. Yours might say something similar to that. But I think that's kind of a, a misleading um, title or, or a misleading heading there. Because if we focus on that, then we may just miss the, the how, uh, how prideful man really is and has become here. Let me help bring that into view for a moment. In verse 3, whom, with whom did the people consult before they built this tower? It wasn't God, right? They consulted one another. They, they weren't about to consult God because they knew that what they wanted wasn't what God wanted them to do. And so verse 4, we get their motive here. They say, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves, they said. In fact, in verses 3 and 4, just between those two verses, there's five references to the people there. The word us is used twice, the word ourselves is used twice, and the word we is used once. This is a self-centered people with self-centered plans to display their self-centeredness to the world. Everything they were planning was in direct opposition to God and his plan for them. Even the materials that they used for construction were man-made instead of God-made. It says, hey, let us, let's build these bricks. Let's, let's cook these bricks. Let's bake these bricks. And let's use those to build this tower instead of the stone, which is God-made, right? Naturally created by God, readily available. They want to do it themselves. And the tower itself wasn't the only thing that they were planning on building either. It's the centerpiece. It's, it was to be the centerpiece of this city that they were building. And not just any city. What they had in mind was something called Amygdal, which is a fortified city, a city with walls all the way around it, to keep them inside and to help them be able to control who and what comes in from the outside. And at the center of the city was to be this tower that by their design was to reach the heavens. Their thought was that if they could accomplish this task, then they would claim equality with God and make themselves known throughout the earth. And as a result, they could stay put and make the people flock to them in awe and wonder. This is a deliberate and uh, direct disobedience to the command that God gave their ancestors, Noah and his sons, to go out and fill the earth. Now, if we could hear each other's thoughts right now uh, out loud, I imagine that they would sound something like this. I can't believe that this people would be so selfish? How can they have such blatant disregard for God like that? There's no way I would ever go that far. 
That's true. I haven't, I haven't seen anybody, you know, out there with an easy bake oven cooking bricks and stacking them on top of, you know, in your backyards. Um, but let me ask you this question. How often do you consult God about your plans? I'm not just talking about 10, 20, 30 years from now. I'm talking about your <coughs> daily plans. James 4, 13 through 17 says, Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such, ev- all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and does not do it sins. See, the good that we ought to do is to submit our plans to God's plan. And when we don't do that, we sin. Is your daily agenda in submission to God's daily agenda for you? Or are you aware of your own attempts, however subtle they may be, to build a tower of autonomy that elevates you to a position to where you are in control? You get to call your own shots and make the world revolve around you. I was reminded this past week of my own tendency to want the world to revolve around me. And uh, I, I made plans. In, uh, instead of consulting God, I just assumed that they would happen. Okay? And I'm not saying we can't go ahead and make plans, but just follow along with me here for a minute. These plans themselves, they weren't sinful. Spend time studying and prepping for this message. Um, go to Hype on Wednesday night and have a small group with our students. Help with a fire drill at the kids' grade school on Friday. Football game in the fifth quarter Friday night. Help my dad uh, feed some homeless veterans on Saturday. Hopefully maybe try and get to a couple of parties that we got invited to Saturday afternoon. I even made plans, impromptu plans, on Monday afternoon to go fishing out at the Sportsman's Club with Charlie. And now some of these plans actually happen in, in um, you know, when, when they got accomplished, there were some good things that came out of them. Charlie and I had a great time uh, teaching him how to row the boat while I sat there and fished. And um, <laughs> just kidding. Well, kind of. We learned how to troll. Um, we, we had a great time together. It was a perfect afternoon. Uh, it was really this gift from God, an unexpected uh, father-son quality time that I didn't even really know that I was going to have with him. Uh, very thankful for that. Hype Wednesday night, our small group, we had a great conversation about uh, what our purpose is in life. And, uh, and I had some great solitude this week to get into God's Word, to look uh, and study into this chapter, and, uh, and to, to just write and, and be kind of by myself with God um, and His Word that way. Good stuff, okay? Good stuff happening. And then Wednesday morning, my wife got a phone call from her mom and we learned that her aunt had died in her sleep the night before, unexpectedly. Nobody knew, knew it was coming or anything. Uh, and so instead of football on Friday and, and the homeless veterans yesterday, we ended up packing our bags Friday night, getting up early yesterday morning and driving to Iowa uh, to go to a funeral. Now, I, I loved Bree's aunt. 
in a lot of ways, she reminded me of, of my grandma, uh, just both really tiny ladies, just loved people. I think she probably holds the record for the most amount of bacon posts on my Facebook wall. Um, that it'll still stand. I don't know that anybody can, can reach that. Uh, she was always thinking of others. She, she paid good attention to the people that she loved, the, the friends and family that she had, and she always supported them in the things that they loved. And so I gladly rearranged my original plans in order to go to Iowa to spend time with family there and honor her life. But, but can I confess uh, something to you this morning? I would be lying to you if I told you that it didn't disappoint me just a little bit that I had to cancel those other plans that I had on Friday and Saturday. How shameful is that? How, how, how calloused must my heart be to feel even the slightest bit inconvenienced by this unexpected death of a loved one as if to say, couldn't you just wait a few more days to pass away? How arrogant must I be to believe that I have what I have planned in my day-to-day schedule trumps everything else, including what God may have for me that I can't see. How blind to my own sinful nature must I be to read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, and think of myself as better off than those people are. God is not blind to the sin of the people in Genesis chapter 11. He sees their prideful plans. He sees their disobedience. And listen, he sees it in you and me too. You and I have the opportunity today to learn from these people in Genesis chapter 11 about the tendencies of our own hearts. How terribly ironic it would be for us to miss out on that opportunity because we view ourselves more highly than we are. In continuation of the pattern established in these first 10 chapters of Genesis, here's the next thing that we need to see this morning from this passage. God judges our attempts to build our own kingdom. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 again. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they do, that they propose to do from now on, will be impossible for them. Now, if you're not aware of certain things that are true about God, it may seem that God is caught uh, off guard here by what the people have done and that he's starting to panic. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Hype students. Do you remember the, the three omnis that we talked about a couple weeks ago? Um, one of them is the omniscience of God. Listen, God knows everything about everything there ever is, was, or will be, and he knows it all immediately and at the same time. He never has to learn anything. He never has to recall anything from memory because he himself is the source of all knowledge. He's omniscient. So in verse 5, when it says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man built, that doesn't mean that he's unaware of what they're doing until that point. This isn't a display of his ignorance to something. It also isn't, doesn't mean that God was physically far away and then moved in for a better view. He's also omnipresent, right? Fully inhabiting all of time and space at the same time, all the time. 
He doesn't have to move from one place or to another because he's already there. Moses is the author of Genesis, and he uses this phrase, the Lord came down, as a literary device to emphasize the absurdity of man's ambition and the absolute transcendence of God. This tower was supposed to be the pinnacle of man's achievement. It's supposed to reach the heavens, the highest thing that they could build. Literally the highest point in their world. And, they could, uh, and yet God still came down, quote unquote, to see what they were doing. As far as they could reach, they would still never be able to reach the height of the glory that God has reserved solely for himself. And even though they were unaware of that fact, God was not. But what about verse 6? It still sounds like God is getting a little bit worried about the power that these people are gaining and, and by uniting themselves under this one language and purpose, right? Not if you understand God's omnipotence. He has absolute power over all things at all times. He's not worried about man overpowering him and disrupting his plans. There's no picture of that anywhere in Scripture. What we do see, however, is God intervening whenever man comes uh, to the delusion in his own mind that he can rise up to God's level. He did it with Adam and Eve in the garden. He did it with Cain. He did it with the whole world, with Noah. He's doing it here. Similar language to that used in verse 6 is used in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Genesis 3.22 says this, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. We need to know that there is no tremor in God's voice here when he says that. There's no scrambling to figure out what to do next. Genesis 3.22 and 11.6 aren't, aren't giving us insights into God's vulnerabilities because he has none. Instead, they serve as warnings to us about our own weaknesses. Our pride is never satisfied. It's always hungry. It always wants more. And so God, in his perfect goodness, intervenes and judges our attempts to build our own kingdoms. He does so because he loves us and he wants us to know that his plans are best for us. Now, in the midst of God's judgment of the people here in this land, once again we see his mercy this is the same Lord who spoke the world into existence. This is the same Lord who in the last days, Scripture tells us, will overthrow the lawless one by the breath of his mouth. With one word, he could have spoken and utterly destroyed this city, this tower, and all the people in it. Instead, in his mercy, he chose to give them many words. In verse 7, God confused their language so that they could no longer understand one another. He spared their lives, and he frustrated their efforts to build their own kingdom. And that brings us to the third thing that we need to see this morning. God causes our idolatrous plans to fail. God's judgment is not vengeful. It's good, and it's right. And here we see that it's merciful. Instead of destroying their lives, he destroyed their pride. Their plans were full of idolatry. They had set themselves up to be gods and were building a monument to themselves. Let us make a name 
for ourselves. They were out to seek the glory that God alone deserves. This is outright, full-on rebellion. It's treason against their creator, and it's deserving of death. But God's plan is to fill the earth with people, not to continue emptying it of them. So instead of killing them, he caused division among them, and he spread them out. Verses 8 and 9. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All the earth. All the earth. All the earth. Three times there in those, three, in those two verses, that phrase shows up. God is in control of all the earth. And his plan is to fill the earth with his glory, not with our sin. His action here in verses 8 and 9 was twofold. He caused the people's idolatrous plans to fail. And he caused his self-glorifying plans to continue forward. Listen, God is the only one who can call himself God and have that not be sinful. When he declares his own glory, it is true and it's right and it's good. When we declare our own glory, it's idolatry and it's sin. Anytime our plans involve our own glorification, they will ultimately fail. God will not allow them to succeed because he will not give his glory to another. I love the way that uh, the Gospel Project Personal Study Guide puts it on page 61. You'll see that this week if you haven't already read it. Genesis 11 reminds us that our plans often fail because they were our plans, not God's plan. Our plans are too often birthed out of self-consultation, not prayer, carried out in independence, not dependence, rooted in disobedience, not faith, idolatrous and glory-seeking, not worshipful and glory-giving. Whose glory are you about? Yours or God's? Are you glory-seeking or are you glory-giving? Listen, we all make plans in our lives. We all have the, an idea of how things are going to look ahead of us. We all have uh, plans that the Cubs are going to win the World Series or the Cardinals are going to win the World Series, right? I don't really care about it. And neither does God. Now, we can have fun. We can enjoy things like that. We can, we can make these plans, and we can have good plans. But listen, if God is not at the center of all of our plans, then either we are or someone else is, and that's idolatry. And God causes our idolatrous plans to fail. This is not malicious. It's not vengeful. It's right, and it's good. And it's kind. It's right. It's a great kindness of God to allow failure into our lives. Do you view fa failure in that way? Without failure, we would only continue on in the self-delusion of self-glorification. If God hadn't confused the language of the people in Genesis 11, they would have only grown more prideful to the point of self-destruction. 
Instead, he disrupted their lives and their self-sufficiency so that they would have an opportunity to look up and see him, to see their need for him. His kindness gave them a chance for repentance. Now, did they repent? No. At least we don't see that in Genesis, the rest of Genesis chapter 11. Some may have, but it seems that most didn't. In fact, in the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to see this pattern of, uh, that I shared at the beginning of uh, God continuing to show his judgment and mercy, judgment and mercy, the people sinning and rebelling and coming back and wanting to obey and sinning and rebelling and coming back and wanting to obey. Not just in the Old Testament, but we're a part of that as well. That same pattern. We're going to see God's judgment and grace over and over and over until they reach their fullness, both judgment and grace, at the cross of Christ. In the flood, God poured out his wrath on the whole world and saved only a few. At the cross, God poured out his full wrath on one man, his son, so that salvation can be made available to the whole world. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, bore the punishment for our rebellious, self-glorifying sin. We deserve death, but he died instead. And three days later, he rose from the dead so that any who put their hope in him can have eternal life, regardless of what language they speak or where they live on this earth. You see, the gospel is a universal language. And we get a beautiful picture of this on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? I'll tell you what this means. It means that God is going to accomplish his plans to fill the earth with his glory. Acts chapter 2 is the anti-Babel, if you will. In Genesis 1, God came down and confused their language. In Acts chapter 2, he came down again, only this time it was to give every nation under, excuse me, it was to give his Holy Spirit to the believers and enable them to speak good news of the gospel to every nation under heaven. 
in a language that they could understand. A language barrier was created in Genesis chapter 11, and in Acts chapter 2, that barrier was taken away. And in Genesis 11, the barrier was created because the people sought to declare their own glory. In Acts chapter 2, the barrier was taken away because the people sought to proclaim God's glory. In Genesis 11, the people wanted to gather others to themselves. In Acts chapter 2, God gathered the people to his holy city so that they could hear the good news about him. The gospel was shared. People believed and repented, and they were saved. And the church began to grow. The last thing that we need to see is this. God graciously uses us to further his plans and to build his kingdom. God graciously uses us to further his plans and to build his kingdom. Ten days before the Passover, Jesus ascended into heaven, and just before he ascended, he left uh, his disciples with these words recorded in Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As followers of Christ, you and I have been given this same command to fill the earth with the glory of God by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to every nation and every tongue. What an amazing display of God's grace that he would sacrifice his own son because of our idolatrous hearts. And then in spite of our tendency to want to glorify ourselves, that he would give us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can call attention to his name instead of ours. And in his grace and mercy, God continues to delay his full and final judgment of sin so that even as it spreads throughout mankind, the gospel continues to spread and overcome sin's hold on the hearts of men and help them find freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So have you given your own agenda over to this agenda of God? Does your daily calendar have the gospel in it? When your plans change unexpectedly, do you see them as adventures that God is sending your way to live and speak the good news about Jesus? Are you determined to build your own kingdom or are you devoted to building his? Are you glory giving or are you glory seeking? Whom does God inconveniently keep putting into your life that needs to hear the gospel? How long will you continue to make excuses to do it next time when it's more convenient for you? I don't know if it's the Lord's will for me to live for the rest through before I finish this message even. I hope so. It'd be a little awkward. <laughs> I don't know what's t- what tomorrow holds for me, but I know what his will is for me today. His will is for me to use every opportunity that I have to make his glory known and my glory none to submit my agenda to his agenda and to build his kingdom by sharing the good news 
of Jesus Christ with others. God has made his authority and his plans known to us through his word and through his son. The command has been given to us as his disciples. There will be times where we rebel against his authority and we sin in disobedience because our pride still gets in the way. And God will discipline us because he loves us and we're his children. And then he'll show us grace by reminding us of that forgiveness that we have in Jesus. And then he'll give us more chances to obey his command to share the good news with others, even as we ourselves walk in that same forgiveness for his glory, for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to you alone belong all glory and honor and praise. There is nothing in the heavens, nothing on earth that's above you. All things are yours and for you to command. You have filled the earth with your most precious creation, not that we would become great, but that we would see your greatness. And though sin has reached far, you reach farther still to make the blind see, to make the lost found, to make the sick whole, and to make the dead come alive in you. Help us, O God, to be faithful to you and you alone. When pride grows in us and calls us to rebellion, come down and discipline your children as only a loving father does. Humble our idolatrous hearts by your spirit and renew our deluded minds with your word that we may again walk in obedience to your ways. May our plans give way to your plans and our wills submit to your will. And may your glory fill the earth as we spread the good news of Jesus Christ to every nation and every tongue. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.